Hey, good morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, it's great to be at Life Church today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come right back out one more time. I like that. It's good to see you. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It is uh, great to uh, to be here this weekend. And uh, if you're not a regular Life Church attender, I, I kind of I've kind of been gone for a couple weeks. And uh, and, uh, and so uh, just good to be back. I will t- really try really hard to stay within my confines of time because I haven't preached in like in five weeks. And so that's just that's kind of hard uh, for me because I man, I was super geeked out yesterday. And, uh, and I'm a little bit that way this morning. And, uh, and so anyhow, if you have your Bibles, you've turned me to, to Mark's Gospel, chapter number four. I'm going to get there in just a minute. Mark's Gospel, chapter number four. Uh, part of what I've been doing this summer, it's kind of my rhythm uh, is, um, you know, is to, uh, to take, it's, there's times that you kind of stress and you kind of press in, and then there's times that you kind of take uh, time to, to uh, kind of Sabbath and kind of get away. And, and uh, you know, as a pastor of a local church, you have a lot of different responsibilities and hats that you wear. And so you're leading organizationally. You know, there's probably, uh, I don't know, 20-some-odd, I'm about 30 employees at the church. And so uh, to almost two dozen full-time employees, and so there's, there's that that's going on, uh, you know, and then there's, there's uh, some management things that have to be done. And then there's uh, uh, the, the work of ministry and uh, the preaching of God's Word, and so on a regular basis, and all those types of things. I love all of that, but like anything, it, you just need time to kind of recharge your battery. And so every summer, usually around July, I just kind of take some time where I go and I do that. And this summer, uh, when I was gone, um, just incredible speakers that we've had here, from Greg Washington to Ryan Coggins to Steve Borland, uh, Jeff Lister, um, Dustin Johnston, just great word every single weekend, which allows me the ability to be able to go, hey, man, you're getting a good, fresh word from the Lord uh, every week, and it's just a great time, and then, and so, and then it allows me to be able to kind of be away. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm getting some time and, and uh, eating my way through a couple of restaurants and, and surprise, surprise, getting to play a couple rounds of golf, getting on the lake a little bit. But I've also been working, I'm wrapping up this doctorate I've been working on, and so I'm in this dissertation phase. And so part of what I've been doing this last month, I had about 10,000 academic words that I had to write, get formatted and done, and then read through and defend my, my viewpoints on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the book of Acts. And, uh, yeah, so that's how I did my spare time. So, uh, anyhow, so, so uh, again, just, just not just for me, again, that's recharging my, my battery, if you would. And, uh, and so one of the things that I came across uh, as I am walking through this is, uh, is in the Gospel of Mark, I, I saw something I'd never seen before. And that's one of the things I want to share these next couple of weeks with you. I'm going to be here this week and every week, next four weeks in this series. August is probably one of my favorite times to preach. Because this is the time that we're wrapping up summer, and we're preparing for fall, and uh, and so a lot of guest flow is still not coming in yet because that's more September. But people are coming kind of here and they're there, and we're all kind of and it's just kind of like kind of a go fight win, kind of a pre-game conversation, a pre-game rally, if you will, uh, and kind of where we're going as a church and kind of what we're doing, and not just as a corporate group, and it, but as individuals, what I really feel like God's speaking to us. And again, that's kind of my, if you want to know kind of my rhythm, 
I'm kind of on a school year, man. I'm like, man, I got new shoes and new pants and a new shirt. I'm ready to go to class, right? New backpack and fresh pencils. I mean, that's just so like, and the staff will tell you I, I'm that way. And so September, October, November, December, I mean, boom. And then Christmas time, it's like, tis a wonderful season, right? And then, um, and then right into January, let's, let's push this next spring semester and go, 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 go. And then about June, I'm like, man, peace out, Girl Scout. I'm done. Like, I just need to, you know, in the words of Zach Brown, I need to be knee deep in the water somewhere. And, uh, and then I'm back. And so that's just kind of been my rhythm for 15 years. And this, this gospel of Mark has really been heavy on my heart because Mark records only four parables. Of all the teachings of Jesus, Jesus taught in parables. So a parable is a story with a meaning. That's how Jesus taught. And so Mark records only four of his parables. All four of the parables are about seed. All of them. Again, I've, I've read the Bible a gazillion times, and I just came across this, and I was like, this is very interesting. So I started doing some digging on Mark and, and, and just kind of looking at it and reading some of the scholarship and, and some of what the writers and historians said, and I get some background on Mark. So Mark's not one of the 12 disciples. Uh, for those of you that don't know that, he wasn't one of the 12. He was a youth that was growing up in Jerusalem in the first century during the time of Jesus. So when Jesus is, is kind of doing his ministry, he's a teenager. He's like the kid that is at church, and he's hanging out, and he's around. And he's always popping up, but you don't really know where he's going to pop up and whatever, and he wants to go and everything and be a part of everything, and you kind of see the hand of God on his life, but he's a bit of a mama's boy. To be, I mean, we, we, we see this in Scripture, I mean, seriously, because what happens with, with that he was called John Mark, uh, he's the nephew of Barnabas, who was one of the great leaders in the New Testament church. And uh, he was a convert, the Bible tells us, that he, he came to faith in Christ through under the ministry of Peter, who would have been the leader of the New Testament church at that time. He's the one that preached on the day of Pentecost. Uh, and he's one of the twelve. Matter of fact, he goes on the first missionary journey with Paul, and Paul goes on to the second missionary journey, and John Mark wants to go, and Paul says, you're not going. And, and Paul, the Apostle Paul, who writes most of the New Testament, says, Mark, you're, you're, you're not fit. You're not strong enough. You're not emotionally strong enough. You're not spiritually strong enough. You're a mama's boy. You, you just, you, you're, and Barnabas goes, come on, Paul. Give him a chance. He's a young kid. You know, you don't, you don't want to judge anybody on all the mistakes you made in your youth. And da 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 And Paul's like, I'm done. Like, no, I, I, I am going to save the world, and I don't have time to deal with this kid. That's what happens. And they actually, Barnabas and Paul split ways over the person who writes the gospel of Mark. I'm saying all this for a reason. It later comes back, and the book of Acts records this, that they reconcile over this, and Paul sees the maturity in Mark, and he sees God's hand upon his life, and therefore he, he kind of ordains him in essence. And then John Mark, who writes the gospel of Mark, will be the one that will write the gospel that is more about Jesus as a servant leader. It's oriented towards action because he's preparing the church for what he sees as impending persecution, which will come under Nero because they're under Roman, Roman occupancy, and, and, and the persecution that's about to come. And what's interesting to me about that is, is that the Bible that you hold in your hand is infallible, which means it does not fail. It works at any place, at any time, with any group of people. It's inerrant, which means it contains no error. It's not a self-refuting theory. And it's inspired, which means it's the very words of God, pneuma, that's used in the Greek. It's the very words of God that are used to be able to speak that God spoke to these writers and they began to pen. 
But understand this. The same way God works in your life is the same way he worked in the first century and the same way he worked with, with Abraham. Is that God reveals himself through relationship. God discloses who he is, not in one big enchilada. I mean, you'd like to get the grande platter, right, and just get it all at one time. I mean, I, I would. I'd just like for God to say, here's what life's going to happen, Aaron. Boom. The reality is I couldn't handle it. The reality is, is that I don't know how to navigate that. I, I want all the answers, but I really couldn't handle all the answers. You, you want to know everything about God, but you really can't handle everything about God. Part of it is because we're, we're finite, and he's infinite. He has no beginning and end, and we definitely have a beginning and end. And, and so what happens is, is God begins to reveal himself. He discloses himself. He, he, he exposes himself relationally to you over time through the journey. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. How do you learn that? Through the journey, through the ups and through the downs. How do you know that God's strength is made perfect in your weakness? Because it's in your moments of weakness that he shows up. How do you know that the grace is so amazing? Do you want to know why that song is so popular? Because every single one of us know what it's like to be a sinner. And even sinners that haven't come to faith in Christ, we still are yearning for the love of a father to approve of us and to accept us. And when we think in our cerebral cortex that God would do that for us, it overwhelms our systems with such, it melts us like a butter on a hot plate. We, 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 we just, we melt because, the, because we are not naturally wired to be gracious people. We're very competitive, critical, judgmental. We, we love the negative. We love, that's why we like news. That's why we, we want to know the scoop. That's because there's just something about our fallen nature. And where a loving, caring, heavenly Father wants to just dump his grace and his love, it's like, wow. And so as you see Mark writing the words of God, inspired by God, this, he writes the story of Jesus as a young man who would have been there watching all of this happen. Some scholars say that his mother's home was where the, upper, was, was, was the, the, where the, the Last Supper took place. He was around all of this. Other scholars say that when Jesus, when the, when the Sanhedrin, when, the, when, the, when the, temp, the temple guards come to take Jesus away and Jesus betrays Jesus, there's a text, and I think it's Luke's gospel, where there is a young man that's running away. Many believe that was John Mark. He was always watching. And he wanted desperately. <laughs> he just didn't have the grit until he had enough of life in him and enough ups and downs that all of a sudden, and so he portrays this biography of Jesus in this very action-oriented, servant, going up, kind of up through the ranks kind of a way. Because that's how he has learned and understood it and how God spoke to him. Today I want to talk about the parable of the sower. Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. It, it commands each one of us as Christ followers we're responsible to sow the seed of God's work regardless of the outcome. That's why you have seeds today. There's no special combination of what you got. So don't go, I mean, I've got wildflower mixture for natural landscaping. That's what it says on the packet. It, there's no special like, man, this must mean something. It means nothing other than I want you to hold the seed in your hand because this is what we're talking about for the next four weeks. It's the, it's the seed, and we're going to come back to this over and over and over and over and over and over and over. It's the seed. It's just kind of a visual reminder today of what we're talking about of what Jesus is talking about of what he's communicating through Mark's gospel. So let's read it here, Mark's gospel, chapter 4, starting in verse 3. Listen, Jesus says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And he's just scattering the seed. Some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And some on the rocky places where it didn't have any much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered away because they had no root. Verse 7. 
Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, and so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up and grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30 and some 60 and some 100 times. Now, if you go and you continue to read in the next couple of verses, Jesus kind of wraps it all up and tells them, hey, he, he who's got ears to hear, let him hear. And, and then he looks at the, the disciples and goes, do you understand what I'm saying? You ever had that conversation? Maybe you're talking to your kids. Maybe you're talking to someone. Maybe you're talking to employees or people that you're managing in your company, your business, or whatever. You go, do you, do you get what I'm saying? And they look at you like a mule looking at a new gate. You know what I'm talking about? It's like just like deer in headlights. Like, no, I have no clue. It's like that moment, you know, Ferris Bueller. Bueller, Bueller, anyone, anyone? It's just like, that's what Jesus had. And so they, they're like, no, we don't understand what you're saying, Lord. So if you've ever read the Bible and the teachings of Jesus, and you've been like, man, I don't really quite get that, you're in good company because that, that's all the disciples. They were all like, I mean, could you imagine? Jesus is teaching, and he's saying all these things, and then there you go, do you, you get what I'm saying? I would have lied. I'm just telling you right now. I would have said, yeah, man, I get it. I'm down with it. Yeah, you and I, we're together, man. It's good. How, pray, two hands up, Lord? Yes, two hands. I mean, I, I would have just, they're like, no, no, I don't really get it. No, doesn't really re doesn't resonate with me. Do, Peter, what about you? Hey, James, John, hey, pay attention, boys. Uh, is it any? No. So, they, so Jesus looks at him and goes, okay, this is the only time he does this. I'm going to explain this to you. I'm going to explain to you what I'm saying. This is also interesting to me, too, because Jesus, when you read the teachings of Jesus, most of the time, it was 10% information. So he's quoting the law, the prophets of the Old Testament, the Torah, right? Because they're, they're Jews. And 90% was application. The number one criticism you hear from church people sometimes is, man, he, he, he doesn't preach enough of this. It's just too much application. Well, that's what Jesus did. Because it does you no good to understand, we're going to get this in just a minute, just to understand the words of the Bible if you don't know how to apply it on Monday morning. It does you no good to understand deep theological constructs and ideologies if you don't know how to, how to live it out on Friday, on Friday night. If what you have today is not transformative in your life, then what value is it to you? It's of no good. The reality is it's understanding it. So Jesus says, let me unpack this for you. Look at verse 14. He's explaining the parable. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the, where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes it away from the word that was sown unto them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time because when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, verse 18... Like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and desires for other things, come in and choke out the word, making it unfruitful. Verse 20. But others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, they accept it, and they produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what's been sown. Now the whole crux of what he's talking about in this first parable that he gives is found in verse 14. The farmer sows the word. If you want to know what the sermon's about today, if you know what he's saying about it, what, the farmer sows the word. The sower sows the word. The farmer. Who's the farmer? Who's the sower? Well, the farmer or the sower is anybody who's a follower of Jesus Christ. They're, they're anyone who has Christ in their heart. They, they've been redeemed. They, they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They've come to a place, according to, to, to Romans chapter 9 and 10, where they, they've confessed with their mouth and they're believing in their heart that Jesus is Lord. They're a follower of Christ. 
They're more than just someone that goes to church. They're more than just someone that does good things. They're more than just a good person. They're someone who's come to the end of their selves and admitted that they're a sinner in need of a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus, and they've invited Jesus Christ to come into their heart and into their life, be their Lord and their Savior. But the, the, key, uh, the key to this is, um, is not the soil but the sower. To this parable, the, the, the key is, all, uh, is, 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 is about the sower. It's not about the, it's not about the soil. Because as you read this, you get hung up on the soil because there's so many verses about the soil. But there's only one declarative statement. The farmer sows the seed or sows the word. And we just kind of go, okay, I get that. And then we get into the soil. No, no, no. It's all about the sower, the farmer. I want you to focus on that. I, I want you to make sure you get that. The key is not the soil, but it's the sower. The focus is, is not upon the focus is not upon the seed in this particular parable. It's on the sower. Because the seed is no value unless it's sown. You understand that? As long as the seed stays in this package that you have in your hand, it is of no value. It's got the ability to be valuable. It's got the, available, the, the, the ability to give you a wild, a wild flyer, flower, I'll get it right in a minute, a wildflower mixture for natural landscaping. Oh, that's, you know what that is? That's, like, that's weeds with, with flowers on it. So... <laughs> Right. That's the stuff you're pulling up for your yard. That's why I'm giving it to you. Because it was cheap. I bought a whole bunch of them. So anyhow. <laughs> right? But it's of no value. It's never going to give me this beautiful natural landscaping. Unless I sow it. And the soil, I don't have any control over. So it's all about me, the sower. If I'm not sowing the seed, it's never, going, it's, never, it's never going to get into the ground. If it never gets into the ground, it never dies and germinates and reproduces itself. And forget 30, 60, and 100 fold. It never happens because the key is about the sower. I want you to catch that. Because here's the reality is, as a sower, the sower has no control over the soil, only the sowing of the seed. I preach every weekend, and I don't know where this seed of God's word is falling. And sometimes it's in good soil, sometimes it's in bad soil. Sometimes people hear it. Sometimes people are like some of you right now, you're already on Instagram, you're on social media, you're making a grocery list, whatever it is. You're thinking about what you got to do this next week because you are gone, gone, gone. And the reality is, is I don't know. What, what I do know is, is that I, my responsibility is to sow the seed, is to take the seed out of the package and to sow the seed. That's my responsibility. I can't control you. I can barely control myself. And some days I don't do well with that. But at the end of the day, I, it's my responsibility to be, to, to, to be the farmer, to be the one that controls the seed. And only control what I can control, which is not the seed, which is not the soil. It's just me, the sower. So the sower is called to sow the seed. I know that's really, really, really deep, but walk with me for a second. Now, the second part he says is that the farmer sows. Let's talk about sowing for a minute. Sowing is not the responsible, is, is not resp the sower is not responsible for the soil, but only for the sowing. I thought you just said that, Aaron. I did. I want to make sure you get this. The sower is not responsible for the soil, only for the sowing. He gets four types of soil. I know it's not about that, but he gets four types of soil, and I think it's important to understand this and just think about this just for a minute. The first soil is a shallow soil. It's called along the wayside. It's seed that just kind of falls along the path. It doesn't last very long at all. The second soil is rocky soil. It's where seed that's planted, and, and, but there's a lot of debris. There's a lot of stones. There's a lot of issues. One of the things about southeastern Wisconsin, and Wisconsin period, I, that I love about the farmland here is that it's this deep, rich, black soil. Now, I was born in the Mississippi Delta outside of Memphis, and, and so there is soybean and cotton and all of that. 
Of course, my dad growing up, my, my dad would tell me how he would go pick cotton as a kid, so he bought his school clothes. So I should be thankful that I don't have to pick cotton, which I am, and that I had to buy my own school clothes. But it, at that point in time, I was like, I don't really care, Dad. I, I just I need some new Nikes. That's what I need. Can you hook me up? So, of course, I was this ungrateful kid. But anyhow, uh, but 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 the reality is is that is that the soil there is a little bit different. It's it's it because of the the the, the low uh, water content. I mean the the Mississippi River right there and the humidity and all that kind of a deal. And the growing seasons are a little bit different here where you find soil. Uh, what what you've noticed, especially like even right here around Germantown, you'll go and see these farms and they were thick forest, but a hundred plus years ago, there were people that came and settled this land, and so they would hewn the trees, they would remove the roots, and then they would go through the process before they ever could plow to begin to pull the stones out of the soil in order to prepare the ground. Stones, stony ground, are things you have the ability to control. If I'm talking about the soil in your own life. To remove those, what are those issues? What are those things that are, what are those things that are, are there? What are those things that have to be removed? That's what he's talking about. What are those issues that are, the, that are the, the breed that you just, you allow to stay in your life that you just need to remove? The third soil is thorny soil. It's, it's seed that's planted where there's a lot of other things growing. The, 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 the beautiful wildflower mixture is growing along with all the other weeds. It's not that it doesn't take root and grow, but it's that as it grows up, it gets choked out because of all the other weeds that are around it. It's all the other things. Nothing wrong with having things, just something wrong when things have you. Nothing wrong with a certain, driving a certain kind of car, living in a certain neighborhood, having a certain lifestyle. But if you can't leave the keys of that car or the keys to that house or the keys to that business and say, God, is yours, there's something wrong. Because what's happening when he says the other desires of this world, wealth and the other desires of this world, competing things. We're a first world nation. We have a lot of options. There's a lot of churches. There's a lot of places you could be at today, but you've chosen to be here. Why? At some point, you've had to say no to other things in order to say yes to this. Why? Following Jesus, at some point, you have to say no to other things. You have to weed those things out of your life in order to say yes to him. Why? See, it's, it's, it's not that the we, it's not that, and this is where I think most people in church are. They're the, they're, they typically tend to be thorny soil. They, 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 they kind of have this where, man, the word's going in and the word's producing and it's, it's, the seed's dying, it's germinating and it's giving, giving root. But there's so many other things in their life. There's so many other issues in their life. There's so much other stuff in their life competing with the brain space, with the bandwidth in their life. It's just pulling them down and pulling them down. And they wonder why they can't get over overcoming it. They wonder why they don't, they, 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 they're, they're not successful. And they wonder why this doesn't happen. Thorny soil. And he said, then the fourth soil is, is fertile soil. It's good ground. It's fresh ground. It, it's deep. It's, it's not walked on. It's free of debris and stones. It's, there's no, the competing interest, the thorny is, is taken care of. It's ready to receive. It's ready to hear. It's ready to produce. And it's in that ground that production happens. It's in that ground that, 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 there, that there is fruitful, fruitful, fruitfulness that happens in that soil. And so the Bible says, Jesus says of this parable, or the sower, that the sower sows. I know that's really deep, isn't it? The sower sows. But the sower is never instructed to be a soil inspector. The sower is never expected to be a soil inspector. 
It's not your job or my job to walk around and to go, well, you know what, they're pretty shallow. You know what, they're not really that deep. You know what, they really don't love Jesus. You know what, they, I mean, that, that's the kind of car they're driving that's kind of competing against. That's kind of what Pastor Aaron's talking about. No, it's not what I'm talking about. It's not what the Bible's talking about. At the end of the day, the only soil I need to be concerned with is the soil of my own life, not your soil. And I'm a pastor. And, 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 and I, I'm concerned about you, and I'm concerned about your family, and I want to make sure that the Word of God is preached and is planted deep in your life and produces a harvest of righteousness. But at the end of the day, I can't control you. I'm not a king. You're not my people. This always cracks me up when pastors go, well, my people think. Well, you don't have a king, man. You're just a pastor. You're, just, you're one dude up there. You're just preaching God's Word. You're God's man of faith and power. Get it on like Donkey Kong. But they're not your people. You know, this is... You, you decided today where you're going to go to church. You decide where you're going to hear the word of God. You make these decisions for yourself. You only control your own soil. But sometimes in church we try to inspect the soil and we kind of go, well, that's thorny soil and that's weedy soil and that's rocky soil and that's shallow soil. But I'm, we, we never think that we're on fertile soil, do we? You never hear anybody go, well, I'm pretty thorny. The people that think that they're not, that's who is, right? Amen? I don't have any issues. You're the one with the biggest issue. So anyhow, I mean, it's just it's human nature. But, but, but the reality is, is that we are not to inspect the soil. We're not trying to deal with the soil. We're, we're not concerned. We are just simply the sower is to sow. That's what he does, regardless of the soil. Regardless of the soil, you just, you sow, and you sow, and you sow, and you do your very best. And even if it doesn't produce what you think it can, you just keep sowing. 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 Why? Because that's what a sower does. He sows the seed. He believes that it's going to, but it, notice, only one of the four, only 25% of the time, does the seed fall on good soil. So most of the time when we're telling people about Jesus and when we're living this life and we're planting this seed and we're doing this, are people ever going to get it? You know why most people don't get it? Because Jesus said it. Most of 75% of the time, they're not going to get it. There's going to be other things in this world that are going to choke it away. There's going to be a shallowness in their life, a disregard for what's going on. They're totally not going to accept it. There's going to be other issues that they need to deal with before that happens, before they can get it. And, and, and so the reality is, is that they just need to understand that a, sea, a sower just sows the seed regardless of the soil. I'm going to preach whether there's five people or there's 5,000. I'm going to give it my best where there's five people, there's 5,000. I, I, I'm going to serve you and serve this church and serve this community and live for Jesus to the best of my ability, whether there's 100 people in a storefront with a 2,000-square-foot room or whether we're in a 1,000-seat auditorium doing three weekend services. It doesn't matter. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility isn't to inspect everybody else's soil or to be preoccupied with, with how this is producing or how that's producing or what's going on. No, 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 no. I'm not the judge. You're not the judge. We're just simply called to sow the seed. Are you sowing seed? Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a farmer in the agricultural scheme of the kingdom. If you're following Jesus, you're a part of this. Notice the, last, notice the next thing. He says, the sower sows the seed. What's the seed? The seed is the word of God. It's the word of God. Now, we know that the word is Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 says that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So we're to sow Jesus. We're to sow the Word of God. Now, I want you to, I don't really do this a whole lot, but I want to get into this just a minute. So Jesus is the seed. Jesus is the seed that you and I 
as followers of him, are sowing constantly. We're sowing it in the marketplace. We're sowing it at our business. We're sowing it with, 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 with a waiter or a waitress at a restaurant. We're sowing it at school. We're sowing it when, 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 we're, when we're at the, at the gym. We're sowing it when we're, in the, when, when, when we're playing golf. We're sowing it when we're at the mall. We're sowing it when we're at a family reunion. We're sowing it on vacation. We're sowing it wherever we go. We're sowing this seed. Why? Because that's what a sower does. A sower sows the seed. Regardless of the soil, regardless of the capacity, regardless if we think the soil has the ability to produce 30, 60, or 100-fold, regardless, we're just simply called to sow the seed. And so the word, the interesting part of this is that when you go back into the, the, the New Testament, is written in, in the Greek language. There's nothing spiritual about the Greek language. It's written in the Greek because that was the pervasive language of the day. And so under the Roman Empire, Rome ruled the world, thus they spoke Greek. And so there, it's, it's all right here. So the Greek word, there's, there's, there's three, actually three Greek words that are used for the word word. That makes any sense, all right? Yes? No? Okay. I'll get there in a minute. The first Greek word that's used to describe the word is, is graphe. Graphe means the writings, the book that has been written. So the Bible, I know this is a beautiful little, like, don't you love this soft blue that I have right here? Holy Bible. I picked it up at the, out here. Somebody had, I, I needed a Bible for this illustration. This whole book that you can buy at a Christian bookstore, that you can buy at Amazon, that you can buy at Barnes & Noble. Quite frankly, you can buy it at Walmart. You can buy a Bible at Walmart. Did you know that? You can buy everything at Walmart. Anyhow, you probably can buy one at Fleet Farm, too, as far as I know. I haven't checked lately. But anyhow, so this book would be this whole canon of Scripture. All of these, the writings of God, would be called graphe. Anybody can have graphe. Anybody can read this. Anybody can buy this. Anybody, whether they believe it or they don't believe it. And having graphe in your car, in your life, in your briefcase, in your backpack won't change you. It's, it, this is not like, it's the same way going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Going to Taco Bell doesn't make you a Chalupa, right? We're on the same page. Having a Bible, carrying it around, doesn't make you a follower of Jesus Christ. So then the second word that we see, which is, the most, which is almost the most pervasive word used in Scripture, is the words that are inside the Scripture. Is a word called the logos. And that's actually the Greek word that's used here is the logos. Logos means that it's, it's, it's the word is what it actually means. So graphe is the writings, the whole complete. Logos is the word. And logos, is, it's the message of the book. It's, 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 it's the actual words of, it's, it's what we just read, the logos. We just kind of read all that. And people can read that. And what happens is on the graphe, it's more of an over-understanding. Oh, that's a Bible. That's a holy Bible. Yeah, I mean, people that aren't even Christ followers understand that. The logo says, hey, man, I'm beginning to understand. I didn't know, I didn't know that, that, that Mark was, was Barnabas' nephew. And I didn't realize that he was the one, the point of contention, that he's the one that wrote the book of Mark. And I didn't, that's, oh, wow. I didn't, okay, yeah, that's good, man. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I'm comprehending it mentally and, some, and emotionally. But then there's a third word, which is used 63 times. Logos is used 51 times in the New Testament. There's a third word that's used for word, which is used 63 times, which is even a deeper dive because it goes all the way to the core, all the way to the spiritual dimension of things. And it's a word called rhema, which comes from pneuma. And it's the utterance or the words that are spoken or declared. So let me help you understand this. From the graphe, the book, comes the logos, the message, but it's the rhema from that that personalizes to you. I'm preaching from the graphe, the very words, the logos of God, 
But then the Holy Spirit takes that, and there's a fresh rhema word from the Logos that comes from the Grafe that all of a sudden you go, man, he's all up in my kitchen. Man, I, he, he, was he at my house this week? Was he in my car on my way to church? How does he know that stuff? All of a sudden there's something that God says, it's that whisper of the Holy Spirit that here's what I want to do in your life. Here's what I want to be in your life. Here's where I am in your life. I'm here with you. I'm here with you. It's that God moment where all of a sudden God shows up and God speaks in your, and that still small voice, and God works in your life. And, and so, the, so the reality is that's the rhema. That's that personal word. If you read Hebrews chapter 4, where it talks about the, the, uh, the, the, the armor of God, and it says that the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, that word, word there, is, is, is translated, it's rhema. It's, it's beyond logos. It's beyond graphe. It's rhema. Because it's only that personalized word of God that comes in the logos, which comes from the graphe, that personalizes it right to your situation, that the Bible says is a two-edged sword that has the ability to pierce, pierce through the flesh, through the blood, through the bone, all the way to the marrow of the situation. That's why you're here today. Because anybody can buy a graphe and anybody can read the logos, but only the Spirit of God can draw you according to John 6:44 and give you a rhema word from God. And that only happens when there are sowers who are sowing the seed, which is Jesus, into people's lives, and they are taking the graphe and imparting the logos into the point that the rhema word of God begins to happen, and all of a sudden the lights come on, and somebody comes to faith in Christ, and you're in a service, and all of a sudden people hands start going up because they want to give their life to Christ. And all of a sudden you began to hear people crying around you because it's a rhema word of God that's come from the Logos, which it comes from the Graphe. And that's what you are called to sow. I know I'm a little excited. Do you understand that? That's powerful. When you stop and you think that that's what you've been called to sow. But unless you take the Graphe, the word of God, and you open it up for yourself and you read the words of Jesus, and you sow them, that's when the transformative power of God speaking in people's lives happen. We take the graphe and sow and plant the logos so God can speak the rhema. There's an understanding in this passage that faithfulness and sowing, regardless of the fruitfulness of the season, is important. That we've been called to be faithful in sowing, regardless how fruitful we are. We're called to be faithful to live the word. We're called to be faithful to sow the word. Regardless if it produces 30, 60, or 100 fold, we are to be faithful and allow God to deal with the fruitfulness of the situation. So, today, let me ask you two very personal questions. One, how's the seed of your, how's the soil of your own life? Honestly. Is it shallow? If you can't control anybody else's seed, the sower can't control the seed. Only you can control the soil of your own life. Excuse me. You can't control the soil, and the sower can't control the soil. Only you can control the soil of your own life. How's the soil? Is it thorny? Does it take root and grow? But there's so many other competing things. Jesus is one more thing. Jesus is one more thing. Jesus is one more thing. Is it stony, rocky? Because there's just issues that you refuse to pluck out of the soil and move out of the way so that this 
righteous word of God, this seed of God that Jesus can flourish and grow in your life? Or is it rich? See, this is not determined by the fruit of your life. It's not the amount of fruit. It's the presence of, of it in your life. You, you're never going to have a fruitful life in Jesus if you don't have good soil. This is not going to happen. And God won't do for you what you have the ability to do for yourself. That's not in chapter and verse, but that's thematically all throughout Scripture. You're not rock'em, sock'em robots. God doesn't control you from some cosmic heavenly joystick. You get to choose what you want to do and how you want to do it. How's the soil of your life? Are there stones that need to be removed and debris that needs to be taken out? Are there competing interests? Maybe they're good things, but they're just not godly things. They're competing for your time, for your talent, for your treasure. And are you sowing the seed of God's word in other people's lives? Because that's not something that's relegated to a minister. That's something that's relegated to you as a follower of Jesus Christ. You are the sower. You are the farmer. And you are to sow the seed, regardless of the soil. How are you doing? Not everybody that heard Jesus' word followed him. And some did and some fell away. Look, when all the dust settled after the resurrection, after the crucifixion, there were only 120 in an upper room. Oh, he fed 5,000. You, you want to have people come to church? You, 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 you uh, feed 5,000, they'll show up. In a few weeks this fall, Tom Montgomery from the Green Bay Packers will be here, and he's going to be a guest with us on this weekend. We'll have thousands of people show up. We'll do a meet and greet and all that kind of stuff. They'll show up. People will show up. For all, oh, you feed people, man. You feed them, they will come. It's like fill the dreams. It'll happen. But, but, but when the persecution comes and when the crucifixion comes and when the tough times come, it goes from 5,000 down to 120 real fast. See, are you sowing the seed? Because here's what I want you to understand. Where we are as a church and where I think we are as individuals is, is one and the same. I think God wants you to go deeper and remove some stones in your own life and remove some, some weediness in your own life and deepen yourself and not be shallow and deepen yourself so that, you can, so that God can implant in what he wants to do in you. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that when you're planted in the house of the Lord, you'll flourish. You want to know one of the reasons why I pastored this church for almost 15 years? Because I want my kids to be planted in a church. I don't want to move them all the time. Because if you move a plant, if you dig a plant up all the time, you, you, the, the, the probability of that plant taking root is diminished every single time you move that plant. And at some point, it just becomes an impossible situation. But the Bible says that we are to be like trees planted by rivers of water that are deep and that the roots go deep. How do you have deep roots? By finding a place that's preaching Jesus and just stay there. And just be there and just and sow the seed and do what you're called to do. And, and, and I believe that God is taking us on this journey as a church. But I also believe that there's a lot of people. We're in a season. Churches go through seasons where you grow numerically and then you kind of will plateau off so you can assimilate that growth. And grow numerically and plateau off so you can assimilate that growth. And all throughout that. And there are seasons where you're plateauing. There are seasons that you're growing. We're in a season. We're in a growth season right now. 
And I really believe this fall, everything we're going to be doing from the weekend services to how we're launching some things and some new initiatives and things that we're doing that we're rolling out these next couple of weeks, you're going to be seeing. I think all these things, there are going to be more and more and more new families coming in. Why is that so important? Because there's so many people that don't know Jesus. And we're going to sow the seed, whether it's shallow ground, whether it's thorny ground, whether it's stony ground, or whether it's good ground. And we're going to believe and we're going to preach as though it's all good ground and believe that that's what God wants to do. And I believe God's going to do some great things in our midst. I really, 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 really do. That's not hype. It's what I sincerely believe. But it's only going to happen if you're willing to take the seed, which is God's word, move beyond the grafe, open it up to the logos and read it to understand it and plant it in someone else's life so that God then can speak to their hearts.